Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Armed Med Ed podcast. This will be a way for us to connect you with some new ideas in between our sessions. We know that it can be hard to enter into the world of medical education research. And so we want to make sure that you don't feel so lonely in your pursuits. We'll be bringing you a community of scholars who want to share their wisdom with you in this part of our community of practice. So listen up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another session of the Armed Med Ed Faculty Development Podcast. I'm Jamie Jordan, and I'm here today with Dr. Lainey Yaris and Dr. Wendy Coates. And our topic is going to be responding to peer reviews of your manuscripts. Now, before we dive into the podcast, let's just start off with some introductions. So Dr. Coates, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me today. This is going to be really fun to talk about uh, all of these great questions. Um, I'm Wendy Coates. I am a professor of emergency medicine at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA in Los Angeles and affiliated with the Department of Emergency Medicine at um, Harbor UCLA. And we're so happy and to have you. And Dr. Yaris? Thanks, Jamie. I'm also really excited to be here with both of you. I'm Lainey Yaris, the um, Vice Chair for Faculty Development at Oregon Health and Science University in the Department of Emergency Medicine, and also co-chair of Armed Med Ed along with Wendy. And in terms of editorial work, I'm the deputy editor for the Journal of Graduate Medical Education and a decision editor for Academic Emergency Medicine and Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training. All right, so let's dive wide in. So, uh, Wendy, why don't you tell us about your process for reading reviewers' comments and managing your emotions? Well, that's a great place to start, Jamie, because I don't know about you, but it always kind of increases my heart rate every time I see there's a decision on your manuscript email um, coming through. And it's like that split second of hope when you're just about to push the enter button on that email thread and then you push it and then say, thank you so much for your, you know, your manuscript and the editors, blah, blah, blah. And I never really see what it says after that, except we are sorry, we will not be able to publish it. And then you're like, no. And then they say in its current form and you're like, yes. And so um, then, you read this and you think, okay, well, it's going to be a revise and reconsider. And I'm going to have to do a lot of work. Um, I thought this was off my plate. So darn, now I have to do a lot of extra work. Um, but it's good because there's a chance. And then so you open up all the reviewers comments. And then you're like, wait, what? They said that? Now, didn't they even read my manuscript? How can they say that? I already said that. How do they know that? Um, why would they say that? I can't believe they didn't like what I said about this. And so these emotions are running through. And, um, you know, usually what I do is I don't do anything that day. Um, I think I kind of go through some of those same stages of grief, like, um, you know, the denial, um, anger, bargaining. And instead of depression, um, I think that I would change that D to doing the work. And then hopefully the last thing is actually acceptance. So um, give yourself a few moments to be all up in arms and think, you know, why did they say that? And then once you kind of calm down 
you can sort of realize, wow, like these people who have no stake in my research spent all this time doing all this work, reading my study, and all they really actually wanted to do was help me make it better. And so I really actually ought to listen to what they had to say and thoughtfully consider it. And so I guess that's kind of, you know, the emotions that I go through and then um, just do the work and hopefully that'll lead to the acceptance. I love that. And I, I do think sometimes it is a bit of a roller coaster of emotions when you're when you're first reading that that initial response. Uh, Lainey, did you have something else that you wanted to add? Yeah, I agree with everything that Wendy said, especially about the emotional response to reviews. And at this point, I really um, also take a pause before reading it. I tend to like note it in my inbox, but wait until I can really process it to read the response or the decision letter. And then when I read it, I do a thoughtful read and I'm thinking three things. Um, the first thing I'm thinking is what can I learn from these comments? The second thing I'm thinking is how am I gonna respond? And then the third thing I'm, I'm doing is trying to get a sense of how extensive the reviews will be because that's all gonna guide my response. And then my general approach to responding to a decision letter is to essentially copy and paste all of the comments into a table with each comment in its own cell and then make sure that I respond to each one of the comments and note where in the manuscript I've made the changes. And I know we'll be talking about a lot of different elements of this, but I did want to point out that um, the editors of JGME wrote an editorial about how to go through this process. So if the listeners want to read through kind of a suggested process, the, the editorial is called Writing Author Response Letters That Get Editors to Yes. And it was published in the Journal of Graduate Medical Education in 20, 2019. Yeah, thank you so much for that. I think that would be a great resource for our listeners. Um, the other thing that I think is always a, a big question, especially when you're doing this early on in your career, is what do you do when reviewers have conflicting comments? And maybe, uh, Dr. Coase, you want to take a stab at that one? Yeah, so what that tells me is that the readers who are eventually going to be reading my article are probably also going to have a different take on what has been written. And it's actually kind of a great opportunity to see how these same words were interpreted differently by different individuals and gives me an opportunity then to see what my message really was intended to be. And hopefully during the rewriting process, um, I can um, really kind of write my message so that it says what it was intended to say in the first place. Um, sometimes I read the uh, divergent reviewer comments and think, well, you know, this person like maybe actually didn't read the introduction to my paper. Um, and when they were writing this comment, like it clearly was explained in a different location in the paper. And so it doesn't really bother me. It's just something that I would add to the type of um, response table that, you know, that Lainey was pointing out before um, and say, oh, this is a great point. And um, it is listed in the discussion in line like 172 or something like that and not get emotional about it. Um, it does become a little bit more challenging 
when the reviewers want you to take your work and go in two completely different directions. And I think sometimes if that's the case, you have to be true to your message. And then that would be um, a time when you might consult with the decision editor for your paper and say, you know, I read these two reviews, you know, one wants me to walk to the left and the other wants me to walk to the right. You know, what's your vision about this? I think that I could do either or I would prefer to walk to the left. Um, what do you think? And um, if you have strong feelings instead, then um, you can just say to the decision editor in your comments, I noted that the two reviewers had divergent comments and, um, you know, I've decided to do the walk to the left as reviewer number one has suggested for these reasons and then list those reasons. And as a side note, as a decision editor myself, um, I usually try to scan a lot of the reviews for that type of um, problem because it is confusing to authors. And um, as a decision editor, I think it's something that we can do prior to sending out the reviews to the authors and just kind of get rid of that little problem. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think it is very helpful to, when you do see those diverging reviews, to look at the editor's comments very carefully to see if that provides any additional guidance. And I think something else that's you know, helpful um, that, you know, junior folks may not necessarily recognize is that it, it's perfectly acceptable to contact the editor and ask for some for some guidance um, when things be, seem to be very conflicting. All right, so let's go on with another, another problem that I think a lot of um, authors may face. What do you do when you disagree with a reviewer's comment or their suggested revision? Lainey, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I've definitely run into this both as an author and as an editor. And I think um, Wendy alluded to this, but it's important for the listeners who are not yet decision editors to know that decision editors don't always agree with the reviewer comments. And um, sometimes we may miss comments that, um, that we don't necessarily agree with. So as an author, if my first response is, I don't agree with this comment, I try to take a safe step back and check myself and think like, is there another way of looking at this that could actually make my manuscript better? But really my top priority is to be true to my research because as the author, you know your research the best. You're really the expert among the group of reviewers and editors who've read that manuscript and knowing how valid that comment is. So after I've given myself a chance to consider that they may be right, if I still disagree and I don't feel like I could stand behind the work, if I change it in the way that they're suggesting, I just explain my rationale for keeping it the same. And then I usually have a caveat at the end after I've explained my rationale, I say, if the editors would prefer I still change this, then I would be happy to consider that. So that there's kind of that, it's an intermediate step um, between not saying anything and reaching out to the editor to say, here's what I think, but editor, check me if you think I'm wrong and I'm still open to change. So that's usually my approach as an author. Yeah, I really like that. And I think um, I think the other thing that's helpful is if the, the comments that you disagree with are somewhat vague, asking for specific suggestions from the editor, like you mentioned, is can be particularly helpful. Wendy, do you have anything to add? I just have a, an anecdote to share. 
um, that I wrote a paper one time and submitted it. And the decision editor got great reviewers who said things that uh, it was a major revision. And so I dutifully with my co-authors made all of the revisions that were requested and it changed the paper significantly, but not deviating from my message, just kind of um, refocused things quite a bit um, to address a wider audience. And then I resubmitted uh, my revision. And then, you know, weeks go by and then finally I get a response, but this time it's a different decision editor, not the same one, whose comments are, well, I just don't understand why your paper, um, you know, went in this direction. Like, I think it would be so much better if your paper was, you guessed it, the exact same thing that I had submitted in the first place. So I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So, you know, I took a deep breath and like I wrote, I didn't revise that paper um, from that point. I just copied the previous um, like review and said, you know, just wanted to bring this up to you and I'm looking for your guidance. This is exactly how the paper was. And then I was told to review it or to revise it to this new thing. And now you want me to go back to the original thing. So like, just tell me what you want and I'll just do it <laughs> either way. And like, he actually picked up the phone and called me, which I thought was a great idea because then it saved about eight email exchanges. And we just had the greatest laugh over the whole thing. And he goes, listen, just pick one of your versions and resubmit it and then we'll call it accepted. Oh man, uh, I, I don't know if I could handle that kind of a roller coaster ride. That sounds really rough. <laughs> um, so this is another thing I think that comes up often. We've all experienced rejection and, and nobody really likes it. Um, but how do you handle rejection? What do you do afterwards? Um, and maybe we'll kick this off to, to Wendy first. Well, you're right. Nobody likes rejection in any form. And I think sometimes we feel like manuscripts are our children because you know, you've been spending so much time on them. And especially for junior authors where you've really thrown everything into it and it may be your first or second experience or perhaps your first um, time as the first author. And, and you just like, you're so passionate about your work. And then for someone to say, no, it just seems so final and, um, you know, it, it really is kind of a, a an emotional roller coaster at that point. And I think, um, as Lainey had mentioned earlier, this is not something that you handle on that day. This is something that, you know, you have some mindful approach to understanding what is going on. And I think the very first thing is to realize that a lot of good research has a home and maybe you just you know you were on a home tour and you just visited the wrong apartment and it wasn't a good fit so it has nothing to do that it was a bad apartment it wasn't a bad paper you know you're not a bad tenant you, you just need to go find the apartment that fits your lifestyle and so you can ask some of your colleagues and some of your mentors um hey you know I'm really sad this got rejected, but can you help me find a better home for this paper? Um, and so that may happen again and again and again. And I'm kind of um, a firm believer that every paper that is a quality paper 
has a home. It's just up to you to find it, um, which kind of leaves the unspoken thing that if your research was actually really crummy, bad work, then, you know, maybe it was, it taught you something. It taught you how to do a lit review. It taught you how to write an IRB and you should just chalk it up to it served its purpose and then retire it and give your, um, give your attention to something that is more worthwhile. Yeah, I really like that analogy of, you know, the home search, because sometimes I, I often feel like trying to, you know, submit and get a manuscript accepted is really like trying to find a home for it. Um, and that sort of leads into my next question. I think we've all also experienced the, the, the time where you've been shopping, shopping your paper around to multiple different apartments or homes, and you just can't find one. So, um, Lainey, do you have any suggestions on, on when to know or when to throw in the towel for, for your manuscript? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of hearkening back to the last question, I think I consider rejection a normal part of the submission process so much that when I'm getting ready to submit a manuscript, I don't think, okay, I'm going to submit it to this journal. I think here are the five journals I'm going to submit it to or the 10 journals I'm going to submit it to. I like make a rank order list for my journals and I just anticipate I'm going to do journal number one and then if it gets rejected, journal number two and I work down my list. Um, and that kind of helps normalize that feeling when we do get the inevitable rejections because it just wasn't the right fit for that journal at that time. So the most organic answer is when you get to the end of the list, it's time to step back and be like, is there a home that I haven't thought about? Um, I do believe that every paper has a home, but recently, actually, Jamie and I had a project that we were working on that we visited many apartments and condos and yurts and campgrounds. And at the end, um, we felt like we could probably keep searching for a home. But at this point, we're just going to stay where we are and let this journal, let this paper kind of dissolve into the universe. Because the benefits for us of continuing to pursue publication really just weren't worth it. And so I, I think that it's rare that one of our pieces of work can't find a home. Um, but I do think that there are times that you might make a decision that, you know, this, I just don't have the passion for this project anymore, or now enough time has passed that um, I don't feel the same way about it that I once did. I don't necessarily feel strongly about it getting out there. And I think that it's important to give yourself permission to not necessarily give up, but just move on with your scholarly career and um, accept that some, some projects have value, even if you don't get them published in a peer reviewed journal, you learned from them, they informed your next study, you met collaborators that are going to work with you on a new project that you're really passionate about. So there's no hard and fast rule, but I think my answer is really when it feels right, when you no longer have, have it in you or your heart's no longer in pursuing publication, it's okay sometimes to just move on. Yeah, thank you. And I, and I do agree with both of you, you know, the, the idea of being reflective about, about that whole process and recognizing what the value in the process itself and what you learn from that experience, even if it doesn't eventually lead to publication, I think is still a good one and, and might take care of some of that bitter taste that is left in, in your mouth when you, you know, you know, eventually decide not to pursue any further action. All right, well, we are nearing the end of our time here for this podcast. And so I just wanted to offer up um, our last question, which is just if you have any other pearls of wisdom or tips for responding to reviews. 
um, I would love to hear what you think, and I'm sure our audience would as well. So, Wendy, what are your tips? Well, I think the biggest tip is to think about the process and the roles that all of the people play in the process. Um, your paper, your manuscript is the most important to you. And yet all of these other volunteers have, you know, dedicated a lot of mental energy to helping you make your paper a better paper and help you along the learning process. Um, and so I think that it would be really important for the listeners to just be appreciative of all of the people who have worked so hard to help make their paper a better paper and to just kind of take a step back and always take the high road. Um, if you're still in the anger phase of your rejection or your revise and reconsider, then put it on pause for a little while until you can, you know, get to the just do it phase and then just do it and um, hopefully it'll then get accepted and it never it never pays to be angry and to you know say things to people that you don't um, want to own and similarly if you find yourself in the role as a reviewer it, it's just such a noble thing to do to help other people you know from a fresh perspective and you know it's also important not to be mean when you're like, I can't believe the authors did this. How could they be so stupid? And, you know, those reviews sting when you're the person on the receiving end. And I think as the recipient, you just have to think, wow, this person is having a way worse day than I am getting this message. And again, take the high road and move on. Thank you. And Lainey, any tips from you? I agree with Wendy's comments. And I think, just remembering that the decision letter that you're reading does not represent the absolute truth, but it does represent those reviewers and that editor's um, perception of your work. And even if you totally disagree or if they miss the mark, which sometimes they do, um, it's our job as authors to um, convey things in such a way that the chance for misunderstanding is very low. And so there can always be something that's learned, even if it's well, I could have done a better job getting my message across because clearly this reviewer got a very different impression of what I was trying to convey. So reviewers and editors are busy. They're subject to biases. Um, they're fallible just like us. And I think that in general, everyone's trying their best. So don't be afraid to ask questions, to think outside the box, um, to sometimes suggest that editors consider publishing your piece in a different category if they think that that's a better fit. Um, you really never know what an editor might agree to or um, or what might be available if you don't think outside the box and ask, and that's always okay. So those are my thoughts. Wonderful. Well, thank you guys both so much. Um, it has been truly a pleasure chatting with you today, and um, we hope to see you again on another episode of these Armed Med Ed Faculty Development Podcasts. Thanks for having us, Jamie. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of the Armed Meded Podcast. Thank you to Lainey Yaris, Wendy Coates, and all of the other instructors within the Armed Meded circuit for making sure that we're always upping our game in medical education research. And thank you to Scott Holmes for supplying the music. We really enjoyed the tunes. <laughs>